Okay, brethren, at this time we're blessed to have our second message for today. It's brought to us by Barnabas Grayson. It's entitled, The Bread of Life. Good afternoon, everyone. To me, it's kind of funny when Matt said, all rise. thought we were supposed to do that today. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever kept Easter? I have. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. If you want to, you can, but you know. It was a long time ago. I thought it was fun. But I think the most uh, of those that had fun was when they found the, uh, the Easter prize egg. I never could find it. Those days are way in the past for me. However, I'm still reminded at this time of year, even though it is the days of unleavened bread, we know that there are those that associate these days with Easter. They see it in a different way. Just before, probably about two days before uh, we started uh, getting rid of leaven in the house, uh, I bought uh, a box of uh, ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> and, um, of course, Carolyn's on the diet, you know. So I, I put them in the freezer, and she asked me, well, are you going to eat all those before we have to get rid of it? And they're like, what, 16 bars in there or something like that? I tried my best right into the last hours before uh, last night. I looked for those uh, ice cream sandwiches. I said, did you get rid of those sandwiches? <laughs> she gave them away. We'll let somebody else have our 11. <laughs> but uh, at one time or another, we have engaged ourselves in, in things that we didn't understand at the time. And I know there's a lot of things that I still have yet to understand. And I know that um, when you come across these peculiar things that we do, like keeping the days of unleavened bread, uh, people do think you odd. It's still not as odd as, you know, going out and looking for eggs. We'd like to say welcome to Art and Willa Hewlett uh, from the Enid area, elder in the church for a long, 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 long time. Good to see him, and uh, I think he may have been surprised a little bit when, uh, when Matt said uh, Art will do offertory music. Anyway, it looks like I have a full hour here. No, notice one of the members had a, brought a pillow whatever that means. <laughs> but why are we here on this day? That's the question that, you know, uh, usually begins a lot of these holy days. Why are we here? And so you, you know, it's obvious. And uh, so we think about that. Why are we here? We should be at work for some of us, I guess. But if you're retired like me. Uh, you, you've forgotten what work is. But it's a day called the holy day. A high day, and there's something peculiar about it. Something peculiar that uh, seems a little bit strange to some people. Of course, there are some peculiar things that we do and peculiar things that we believe in. 
And for those who don't understand, the word peculiar does mean strange or odd to them. And when you tell them, well, um, I need the day off, I'm going to uh, go to a holy day, it's called the Days of Unleavened Bread, and, and they may not say anything, but then out, out of sight, uh, they might look at you and go, hmm, I wonder what that's all about. But uh, those of us that are here know that you are blessed. And in all that that word peculiar means, even at the risk sometimes of, of losing, losing a job for some holy day or some uh, a high day that we, that we keep, and it takes a special effort to uh, be made here, to make it here on this holy day. In the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul wrote, and I think maybe you have an outline of the sermon here. Each one of those spaces represents something that you might want to write a question in or a comment or, or something that I've uh, said. But in the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 2, he, he said, and this we can look at this as one of the reasons why we're here today. For the grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation. The salvation that has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So there's things that the holy days, this one in particular too, can teach us to live soberly. So there are times that we have to set aside our cares and what we want to do instead in obedience to the word of God. So that much, you know, much of the world looks at that as uh, something they may not understand. And we have been blessed to know what the day means. In verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have this blessed hope that we have to look forward to. It's like looking uh, in the evening time or in the morning when you see the sun rise or when you see the sun going down that there are pretty skies are just glorious and in ways it's hard to describe what you see because it is so magnificent and glorious. My mother used to have a saying that whenever the sun went down we'd be standing out there in the yard and I was just a little kid and she would always look at the, the sunset and she would say tomorrow's going to be a pretty day. So that ended up on her grave marker. Tomorrow is going to be a pretty day. And we have yet to really know, to experience that glorious coming that is going to be ours when we see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds. Verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So we know that the word of God, the words of Jesus Christ, are meant to purify us. They are meant for us to put into our life so that we can be zealous of good works, the good things of, of just uh, displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like love and joy. This word peculiar is from the Greek word periosius, periosius, which simply means special. And in the eyes of God and Jesus Christ, our Savior, it is a special day 
for a peculiar people. Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, and which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, a god or a goddess is, is a person who may be real or he may be imaginary, someone greatly admired and venerated in some way more than the eternal God. It could also be a thing or an object, an idol that represents, you know, qualities of, of or beliefs that we treasure and, repre and represents maybe some other, some other entity other than God. So we are commanded in verse 4 that you shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You remember when Moses was gone for a while, uh, the people had set up a golden calf to worship it. They wanted something to look at, something physical they could touch and dance around and uh, carry around with him but it had to be demolished it was uh, destroyed and we find in verse 5 you shall not bow down yourself to them talking about these various gods and idols nor serve them for I the Lord am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments you know jealousy is one of those human things those human traits that you know we people have sometimes we're jealous of this or that you know maybe we see someone else's affection being more attentive toward another person that is you know not us you know let's say uh, say that uh, in your wallet you carry all your pictures of your girlfriends in the past you know and you know how that can be jealous you know or she has all her boyfriends in her purse or something like that you know jealousy can come in but God cares for each and every one of us as his people and he doesn't want our attention divided away from him so verse 7 you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. When a person claims to be a Christian under God, but does things that are in opposition to the way, to the truth, and to uh, Christ in righteousness and obedience, that person is taking the name or the reputation of the eternal God in a meaningless way. Remember the Sabbath day next, verse 8, to keep it holy. And as you can tell from these uh, commandments, that they show us how to love God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So, you know, that's why we are here today. It, it is a Sabbath. Today is a Sabbath day, a high day, in which we remember to keep holy by gathering together to honor the Lord God. But people are forgetful. As I get older, I get forgetful. Tell me your name, and if you're new, two seconds later, it's gone. Just the race, as soon as I blink my eyes. And 
it, it can be a handicap sometimes, and, and you struggle all day to try to remember a name, and then late at night you're laying in bed and said, oh yeah, you just finally, finally download, you know. <laughs> but these four commandments, they tell us how to show our uh, love toward God. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 22. In verse 35, one of them, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, tempting him, hoping, you know, that he'd slip up on his words in some way, uh, misrepresent everything he's teaching and saying. And he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Those three things really uh, cause us to want to do all of that so that our love is not, uh, not unfeigned, that, it, or that we really mean what we say about loving God. And he said in verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto that, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in order to have this love, we want to look at ourselves and know what it is that we like about being loved. We like kindness shown toward us. We like trust shown toward us. So here uh, we are here. We're here out of love even fear, even fear, to honor God and our Lord and Savior on this day. As on the Lord's Passover, on the 14th, you know, the ancient Israelites, they uh, partook of the, the sacrifice, the lamb, they uh, slay, uh, slayed the lamb, they partook of its flesh, and by that lamb, they received their physical strength to be able to make their exodus from Egypt for that journey uh, into the wilderness or wherever they were going at that time. Today, we partake of Christ through his words as we make our way, as we make our journey toward the promised land. So we come to the bread of life over in John chapter 6. Here's what he says to you and me. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were asking, how can this man give us his flesh, his body, to eat? So there's something strange, as we, at first glance, something strange, something sick about what uh, he is apparently saying. How can this man give us his flesh and his blood? And besides all that, this man said he came down from heaven. So Jesus... He must have paused, looked at them, heard what they were saying, 
and watched as they strove among themselves. So he tells them in verse 53, he said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly I say unto you, except or unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So once again, he emphasizes that statement. And he tells him, you're going to have to do this if you want to have life in you. Verse 54, whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And in, within that statement is a promise made to us, to those who partake of Christ through his words and do the things and the will of God. I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed. Or actually my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. This word indeed, the dictionary defines as meaning in fact, in reality, in truth. And it's used for emphasis to confirm a previous statement that was made. So the Greek word here for indeed is alethos, meaning truly. So he's saying, for my flesh is meat, in fact, in reality. And in, in fact, in reality, in truth, indeed, my blood is drink. We know in, from John 17, 17, that it says, thy word is truth. And Jesus, he continues speaking here. Verse 56, he says that he that eateth, uh, from the, from the uh, word eat, or trogo, and those from root words that have to do with the idea of a crunching sound as in to gnaw or chew in general, that is just to eat. My flesh and drinketh, that is to imbibe my blood, dwelleth in me and I in him. Some of you have probably been keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread for a long time. The first time my wife and I kept it was in 1972. And so uh, we had this strange bread that we were going to eat. And, you know, when you, you always heard, well, yeah, you can't wait for Days of Unleavened Bread to get over with so you can go back to the soft buns and the hamburgers and donuts, you know. And there was this crunchy bread that you had. I got used to it. And uh, just about two weeks before uh, this Passover began, there were some matzos that we, st uh, that we had in the shelf. And I took them down, and they're still good. I rubbed some butter on it, put a little bit of salt on it, some pepper on it, and uh, put it in the microwave, heated it up, and went to town. Now I can't, couldn't separate you know, the good matzos from the saltines that got mixed together on the floor and everything, but uh, you kind of get used to it you get into the habit of partaking of unleavened bread. And that's what these days remind us of. They give us a routine. They give us a habit that we can get into and know what it all means. So at, the first, at first, the sound of the statement that Christ was making about eating his flesh and drinking his blood presents the thought of uh, doing something awful and wicked. But we know that such words are figurative and not literal. And we know that it means to partake of Christ, to abide in him, 
so that his life is in us and together we dwell. Verse 57, as the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, he, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And this, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. You know, uh, he that eats uh, of this bread shall live forever. Well, that's a great promise. Great promise when you imbibe upon the word of God and realize that his blood has redeemed us to God and that we are forgiven of sin and living according to the will of God. But many therefore, verse 60 of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can listen to it? Who can give audience to this kind of talk? This scleros, this is difficult, says the word in Greek. So it's a hard or a tough saying. And when Jesus knew in himself in verse 61 that his disciples, his followers, or his pupils, as we are still, murmured, that is they grumbled at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Why was this a hard saying to them? What made these disciples murmur? Was it because they thought they really believed they were being asked to take you know, bites of Christ's body, his flesh, his arm, his leg, his skin somehow? So let's look again to see what Jesus said up in verse 57 of John 6 here. Here Jesus mentions, he mentions the living Father who sent him. Down in verse 57 uh, where Jesus said, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And in verse 58 we see, he is that bread that came down from heaven. And whoever partakes of him shall live forever. So he was saying these things <clears throat> to those that were in the synagogues, there to learn, there to hear the word of God, and he presents this, this thought and puts that into their mind. So there must have been among those in the synagogue in which questions arose, again, about this man. They saw him as this man who said, he is the bread sent from heaven, from the Father, and that to partake of him is to live forever. So there were many who could not take this revelation or listen to it any longer or want anything to do with it. And Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured. And so he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 62, what and if, what if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? And he's referring to himself again. What if you see the Son of Man ascend up? What are you going to think when he rises or goes up? So, you know, you have to look at Jesus. Uh, who was he before he came down or descended from heaven in the, in the form of the Son of Man? How does it happen if you see the Son of Man ascend? How does he go up and rise? In verse 63... He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I speak unto you, he tells us, they are spirit. They're pneuma. And that that spirit gives life. And there is nothing that the flesh can do. So the word spirit is likened as we see uh, like the power of the wind. You can see it. You can feel it. You can see what it can do. And that's what uh, he describes to Nicodemus. So this pneuma, or this spirit, has to do with a person's non-physical being, which is composed of the quality of, of their character, of their, of their emotions, of their moods, of their feelings that affect their behavior and their attitude toward life. You know, uh, they, there's a saying, you are what you eat. And so if you're, you know, taking, partaking of things that are befitting to you as a Christian, it comes out in, in wrong, harmful ways. But if you have the Spirit of God and you're imbibing, imbibing in those things, it overcomes that evil with good. So Jesus, in this case, is, you know, it's about the Holy Spirit of God that gives life and that dwells in us. So the words of Jesus... Those words, the fruits of the Spirit that he talks about, they're all spirit. And we must partake of that in order to have life forever. But some were not ready. They just weren't ready to take it from this son of man that some saw just, you know, just as, as a carpenter's son. And Jesus said unto them in verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not. There are some of you that don't believe. There are some of you who are going to reject these various truths that we read. Close the ear to it. Don't want to understand it. You know, uh, Jesus always began his, his teaching or his preaching saying, you know, behold, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Because there are some out in the crowd that are going to hear and there are some out in the crowd that aren't going to listen. They're not going to pay attention. They're just going to walk away and go ahead and do their own thing. And he said, <clears throat> verse 65, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So these things that we understand are gifts of knowledge that we have. Gifts of knowledge that we can either enlarge upon or just let go. Because, you know, uh, maybe trials that we have in life, there are various things that uh, choke out the growth seed that falls by the wayside some goes into stony ground or into stony hearts stony hearts that don't don't want to hear don't want to listen and verse 66 from that time uh, many of his disciples went back they walked no more with him so what is this that is given unto us that leads us to Christ. First, to accept Jesus as the Son of God. E even Christ said, uh, uh, when, he, uh, when he said, I came from the Father, when he said that he was the Son of God, uh, making himself equal with God, meant they had to accept his teachings and give up cherished customs, traditions, and accept him also as God, which some were not ready to do. Back up to verse 27 in John 6. 
Jesus tells us to labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat or the food which endures unto everlasting, everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him has God the Father sealed. This food does not spoil. You know, when you, when you uh, even in your refrigerator, it only lasts for so long anyway. But eventually, it spoils. You know, David was talking about those eggs, you know, that, that were cracked, and he ate them anyway, and it made him sick. But food spoils, this physical food that we, that we have, and even our water that we drink, you know, is uh, polluted and contaminated in various ways. Then said they unto him, Well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. But they weren't ready to believe on him. You know, this work that we see here, this is the work of God that uh, uh, many ministries use as their compelling motive to spread the gospel. It's what many... Uh, compels Christians around the world to seek to, you know, deliver the gospel or preach the gospel and try to save someone, to turn people's eyes toward Jesus, to believe in him as God with all power and authority to give his life through his word and the Holy Spirit. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 30, they said therefore unto him, What sign shall you then, that we may see and believe you? What do you work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Show us some sign to convince us, they were asking. For them that knew the scriptures, they knew the history. They knew the miracles. They heard of the miracles. Some even saw the miracles that uh, Jesus was doing. And, but who is this? They just weren't sure at the time. So Jesus said unto them, Truly, verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. So more than the miracle of the manna that satisfied the physical hunger and the cravings of the children of Israel in the wilderness, the bread of life, Jesus Christ gives life and hope through his words and through his teachings. And so what did they say in verse 34? Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me. You also, you've seen me, and believe not. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that come to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, 
that of all which he gives me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, today's world, we walk by faith. We haven't seen Christ, you know, physically standing before us. But we have his words that live on through the words and the scriptures that have been uh, put into the record for us to look at. You remember Jesus said at the beginning, let us make man in our image. But we know that there was an adversary in the world contending, deceiving, confusing, and misleading the world into sin and destruction. But in the holy days, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we see a plan of salvation in which man, in which we can and have been forgiven to escape the death penalty of sin. That death penalty, you can't overlook it for sin. Because if one does not repent of sin, there's that death penalty. So God sent Jesus as a bread of life to do work as a son of God in leading us to believe in his word and to take them and imbibe in him and eat of his, of the food that he's given us through the words of the prophets and of the apostles. Verse 4 in chapter 9, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So through his example, through his teachings, and bringing the gospel of salvation through you know, repentance and, and baptism, he worked until his time came when he was crucified and then ascended back to heaven, back to the glory and to the Father to be there. But his own received him not and they just could not accept him as the only name under heaven by which man might be saved. John 6, verse, uh, verse 41. The Jews then murmured. They murmured at him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? How is it that this man says he came down from heaven? Why, well, he's a man just like the rest of us. How does he make himself out coming down from heaven from where God is and saying to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood? Jesus therefore answered and he said unto them, Don't murmur among yourselves. Don't complain. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. So he knew there would be some who would not understand at that time. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. So this, you know, the word of God is converting to the soul. You may not always, even from, you know, some of us, it took a long time for us to uh, repent, to be converted. But the word of God is converting. And those words that we hear even when we're younger, it will come to fruition later on as we get older. And it be, we begin to apply. 
and we say, oh yeah, that's what, I've heard that before in church. I heard ministers say this or that. And when you apply it, then, you know, you mature. And they shall all, they shall be all taught of God. The basis, you know, for the ministry of Christ was laid out in the scriptures. Verse 46, not that any man has seen the Father, except he which is of God has seen the Father. Truly I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Has everlasting life set before them. And he says, I am that bread of life. The Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of Christ and his sacrifice. And that we are to abide in him. When Israel left Egypt after the, those, those plagues, you know, they were given little time to prepare. They couldn't wait for the yeast to rise in their bread dough. So they made themselves unleavened bread to take on their journey. The unleavened bread is itself a symbol, a reminder of you know, the slavery in Egypt and then their freedom. Reminds us of both things. For us, it's a reminder of our departure from sin at some time. And it is now, reminds us of our freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. The bread in Deuteronomy 16.3 is called the bread of affliction. Where it says, uh, seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Therewith even the bread of affliction that you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. The bread of affliction reminds us that we're to be humble, that there is a humility in it, that we eat it without pride, without arrogance, because you know, uh, leavening puffs up, it swells up, it symbolizes uh, self-inflicted egoism, egoism and pride. So we eat unleavened bread seven days, or the matzo, as, we, as some of us call it. And that is a bread of affliction. Affliction means uh, uh, depression. It means trouble. It means misery. I am that bread of life, Jesus said. John 14 Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you go. Where are you going? How can we know and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. So in every aspect of the life of Jesus, it mirrored the, uh, the power of God, the, his compassion, the kindness, the forgiveness, the love, things of the spirit that makes for the image of God. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. And he says to Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say then, show us the Father? 
believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak of not of myself, but of the, of the uh, Father that dwells in me. He does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. And then he goes on to say, which is very plain to us in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We might ask ourselves, well, where does the Spirit dwell? John 14, 17 says that the Spirit of truth dwells in you. Romans chapter 8. So then they that are in the flesh, we know that cannot please God. When you're obeying, you know, your carnal lust and doing those things opposite of what the uh, word of God says. Cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, he tells us. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the uh, dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So we have these promises. So we have these, uh, uh, a direction and a way to go in order to inherit that, that life that is ahead. And how do we know that we dwell in Christ? 1 John 3.24, I don't know if that's written down in your handout, but he that keeps his commandments, it says, dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. I'm going to go down to uh, verse, uh, to the next chapter, John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So we have, you know, uh, both working together. And he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us, this bread of life, to help us, you know, grow in the light of truth, the light of the, his word. And it's a calling that, you know, you can believe or not want to believe, however you choose. But once we commit, we must realize that in verse 2, every branch in me, that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Clean through the word, you know, be leaven, if you please. He that abideth, uh, let's see, bro. And he says... You're clean to the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. This word abide is uh, meno, M-E-N, men, O. And it, and it means to remain. It means to stay. It means to, uh, to, be, to remain in a given place or a state or a relation. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you accept you abide in me. So, you know, as, as the fruit tree or whatever grows into the ground, it's got to be rooted. It's got to have 
a way of uh, getting nutrients out to the limbs and to the leaves and to the fruit that grows on it. You have to abide <coughs> in the source. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are purged. So at this time, you know, as you know, spring comes about, you know, there's spring cleaning. Yeah, everybody wants to clean out stuff, all the uh, things that they don't want and uh, make a profit on it, of course, and, and, and have garage sales and so on. Spring cleaning. And it just happens to be associated with, you know, the time of unleavened bread when we, you know, cast out leaven. There's that freshness in the air at spring is, is coming to fruition. So the seven days of unleavened bread, they remind us of the importance of putting out the sin that can so easily beset us. The things in our life that, you know, it just seems to be keeps cropping up that we return uh, uh, to do again. The sin that easily besets us. We know that salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God. We can't earn it by works because we are saved by grace. But we know that grace doesn't do away with the law or keeping the commandments. Nevertheless, we're prone to make mistakes and we're prone to do things wrong. And so we have the grace of God that gives us forgiveness. We heard in a message a few sermons ago about the Apostle Paul who said he knows to do good, but he fails at it sometimes, missing the mark of perfection. I can look back over just the last year where there are some uh, words that I have said that I have, wish I had not said. That words that, I have, that have made uh, other people angry at me. But here I am with, you know, supposed to have the Holy Spirit of God, but yet, you know, you slip up and miss the mark. Those things happen. And Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death? So we know that there's always that struggle to do good. So then with the mind, I myself, it says, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, this doesn't mean that we, you know, serve both, can serve both at the same time. And some, as the scriptures say, some have twisted Paul's words to their own destruction. Like, you know, saying, uh, we're not under the law and by grace you're saved. So uh, once saved, always saved. Luke 12. I'm almost done. I want you to know that I'm skipping about one, two, three, four other pages. Luke 12, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said unto his disciples, first of all, he said, Be wary the leaven of the uh, Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You know, that's acting in pretense or deceit, saying one thing, but, you know, doing another. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Kind of a, a, a scary statement. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness, and you think no one's listening, or no one's reading what you put on, on the computer or things. Shall be heard in the. Uh, whatsoever you've spoken in darkness and secret, you know. Shall be heard in the light. 
and that which you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. You know, you get the idea of, you know, uh, 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 how do you know all this? Uh, who told you about this, uh, this secret? And they might respond, well, a little bird told me. And you think about all of the things that go on in electronics today, you know, the uh, emails and the tweets and all that. So we must watch what we say and do only those things that are becoming of truth. <clears throat> so if we are in Jesus, partaking of him as the bread of life that is everlasting life in us, we've been deleavened and we need to remain in that state by accepting the sacrifice to do God's will through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit because, you know, we can't do it on it without it. And to dwell in Jesus and abide in his word. To, and that means to confess him and not deny him as the bread of life. I'll close with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Apostle said, we heard this earlier, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice, that is, you know, uh, the desire to harm someone or uh, in some way, and wickedness, you know, that's evil, devilish. Malevolent. You've heard probably of crimes that have been committed and they're such atrocious that you wonder how uh, people can commit such evil, but they do. But, with the, but keep the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This sincerity simply means purity. And truth, you know, is a word that, that just means what it says. In this world we live... There's war, there's corruption, there's lying, there's all sorts of trials and troubles, there's sickness, things that make life hard. But Jesus says to us, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we know that there's a Sabbath of rest that is coming, a time like, you know, this feast in preparation for that time to come, because we're all forerunners of purity and truth in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 